Hey friends, have you been blessed or encouraged or challenged by Theology in the Raw? If so, would you consider joining Theology in the Raw's Patreon community? For as little as five bucks a month, you can gain access to a diverse group of Jesus followers who are committed to thinking deeply, loving widely, and having curious conversations with thoughtful people. We have several membership tiers where we where you can receive premium content. For instance, silver level supporters get to ask and vote on the questions for our monthly Patreon only podcast. They also get to see like written drafts of various projects and books I'm working on. And there's other perks for that tier. Gold level supporters get all of this and access to monthly Zoom chats where we basically blow the doors open on any topic they want to discuss. My patrons play a vital role in nurturing the mission of Theology Nara. And for me, just personally, interacting with my Patreon supporters has become one of the hidden blessings in this podcast ministry. So you can check out all of the info at patreon.com forward slash Theology Nara. That's patreon.com forward slash Theology Nara. All right, friends, my guest today is Dr. Matt Halstead. He has a PhD from London School of Theology, and he teaches uh, at Eternity Bible College. He's the author of Paul and the Meaning of Scripture and the End of the World as You Know It. He also is somewhat of an expert when it comes to things related to extraterrestrial life, uh, UFOs, aliens, and all that, and paranormal experiences and all that fun stuff. So this was a really fascinating conversation. So uh, yeah, put on your tinfoil hats, folks, and let's dive in. Please welcome to the show, the one and only Dr. Matthew Halstead. Matt, uh, you and I go way back. Um, do you remember that time I spoke at your church and I, I think I showed up at the hotel, which was maybe an hour from the airport, and I reached my bag. I'm like, I left my either computer or laptop with all my notes on it on the airplane. Do you remember that? <laughs> I do. I do. I, it was like about 11 o'clock at night, I think, or yeah. something to that effect. So we end up going to the airport. And of course, you're in Oklahoma City. So our airport like closes at night. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you couldn't get it. And we came back to the hotel. Yeah. And then they told us, like, come back at 4 a.m. when it opens again. So we went back at 4 a.m. Oh, my gosh. And I think we... That's when you get it, right? I got it. I got it. I mean, I had, had one hour of sleep that night, and then I was preaching. Oh, I know. Um, yeah. You were yeah. at my church preaching that, that morning. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> that was, I felt so bad for you. Here you're driving all over. I mean, I don't know how many oh, hours you drove, and I was stressed out because I'm like, all my notes are off. Yeah. And this is, I don't know, what this must have been 12 years ago. Like, I, I had not, like, now I, I actually, this happened again recently. Oh, I literally no left my computer on the airplane. I didn't find out till the next morning. It was an hour away too. And I wake up and I'm ready to go speak. And I'm like, my computer's there. And all my notes were on there again. It wasn't on the cloud. So anyway, I had, I had that yeah. experience again. It was a little less stressful just because I've done a lot of speaking between the two incidences of leaving sure. stuff on the airplane. But um, good times. Yeah. Um, and now you work yeah, for yeah. EBC where I used to teach. So yeah. we've... Uh, yeah. Yeah, we both had our journeys. Um, I Okay, yeah. so I told you I'm an offline. Here's the backstory. I... Um, tweeted uh, a month ago, said, hey, I want to have on somebody to talk about marijuana, psychedelics, and aliens. <laughs> I guess I should say I guess I should say UFOs as a broader category, maybe. And aliens. Okay. And sure. aliens. Um, yeah. And so I've gotten a lot of feedback on who to have on. And one one of the more highly recommended ones for, for aliens was uh, Michael Heiser. I didn't know he was into that, but apparently he's like kind of an expert yeah. in a theology of aliens or... 
Um, He's been talking about it for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I remember uh, several years ago, he and I had lunch and, you know, he he had written this book called The Unseen Realm. And it's a a great book. And, you know, I had all these questions about his his uh, biblical studies stuff. But we spent all of lunch talking about UFOs. (laughs) Really? (laughs) And so it was it was a lot of fun. So, yeah, I knew he was into that because I actually I first met him because in I think it was 2018, I think. And, uh, I just sent him an email because, so I had had this weird supernatural experience, whatever you want to call it when I was a kid. And, uh, I just, I largely sat on it for quite a while until about 2018, I had this like weird urge, like I've got to figure out what this is, what did it mean? And by that time I had either just finished my PhD or was about to, and I got to thinking is like, okay, you know, when you're in graduate school, you don't talk about this kind of stuff. You want to be taken seriously, right? Well, by the time I was finishing with my PhD, I thought to myself, look, um, I, I know scholars now. I know people who write books on weird stuff. And so, or or at least I have access to scholars now. I could do that. And so I thought I needed to just start reaching out to people. So I talked to Craig Keener. I talked to, I talked to Greg Boyd. And so Mike was so kind. He emailed me back and he said, yeah, man, uh, I'm pretty much known these days for, for as being someone who people can go to and confide in and them not hearing that they're a kook or anything. So I really appreciated that. And of course that, that started, lots of correspondence and okay. as well. So anyway, yeah, Heiser, Heiser's yeah. legit. Now I, so I, you know, I, at the time of this recording, he's, he's been in the hospital under severe. I mean, he might only have a f- couple weeks left to live from what the diagnosis is, which is incredibly sad. Mm-hmm. And he, I, I had scheduled yeah. him. We were about to record and three days, it was three days before when, and he said, Hey, I'm going to the hospital. It doesn't look good. He was so like nonchalant, almost like, okay. Like just yeah. like, sorry, couldn't record. Maybe if I get out, but I probably will never get out. I mean, he's just really casual about it, you know, which, which is kind of amazing. But, um, so anyway, Mm -hmm. so then a mutual friend of ours said, well, well, you know, Matt knows Heiser very well and has done a ton of research on this and, and has his own stuff. So if, if he's, if you can't get Heiser, you can get Matt and he's going to, you know, be, um, maybe, maybe you would say not as knowledgeable, but, but, but at least very knowledgeable on the right. topic. So can we go back to that paranormal experience you had? You mentioned that in the email. I had no clue. Yeah. Um, and I would, yeah, would love to hear it for the first time from you. What happened? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't, I mean, it was paranormal in the sense that, you know, the para part means not, not normal or outside of what's normal. I, I think it was supernatural. It had nothing to do with UFOs, but, um, interestingly, when you inevitably, when you study paranormal events or when you study supernatural events, and then you you study UFO experiences that people sometimes report. There is crossover. There is interesting similarities between the structures of the experiences of each respective uh, group. Right? It's fascinating how they just coalesce. And so, um, so anyway, I, so I think that the, my experience is somewhat of a motivator. Of course, a motivator for looking into UFOs and thinking about them. But you know, I'm also a child of the '90s, so we had some good movies to motivate us back then too. So. Uh, but anyway, about my experience, yeah. So just the brief version. Um, uh, basically, I was 14 years old, and I was at my grand- grandparents' house. I stayed the night at their house one weekend or whatever, and they lived a little distance away from where we did, so it took a drive to get there. And uh, anyway, um, I was there one one evening. I go to bed that night, and it was just my two grandparents and then myself in the house. I, I go to sleep that night, and then I, I have this very vivid dream a dream of the of a group of people standing in a circle with the Bible in the middle of it. And I hear a, a voice, a disembodied voice, I have no idea where the voice came, um, that said something like, 
some people are praising the Bible. And then the same voice said immediately after that, some people are cursing the Bible. So again, the cir- people in a circle looking at the Bible, staring at it, they're singing a, a Christian uh, 90s pop song, right? It's so, so weird. I'm just reporting how, how I experienced it. And then, um, uh, then I hear the voice. And so this is a dream. I'm outside of the circle kind of looking in. I don't know. It's interesting. Uh, then I wake up and I, I'm laying on the bed. I'm in the room. So this is no longer a dream. It's clearly contrasted with the dream because I'm in the room. I see my surroundings. I see my body kind of thing. Uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not like right, out right. of body, but I'm, you know, at the foot of the bed, between the foot of the bed and the doorway, which leads into the hallway, the door was open. There was somebody standing there in the doorway and, uh, everything you would think an angel would look like, you know, minus, minus some of the spectacular, you know, the halo and the, the wings, no, none of that, but in a, a in a white gown. Uh, pure white face, a very stoic face, not smiling, not frowning, very peaceful, just looking at me, you know? And, uh, the next thing I know is, and this is where I, I don't quite remember exactly what happened, but either there seems like there was some sort of transition between him moving from the doorway to right next beside me. And I think there was some sort of transition. And, uh, at that point I'm looking up at him. So I turned my head this way to look at him. And he's very close. Like he, I went back years later, uh, to that same, well, it was my grandparents house. So I'd go there all the time. And I ended up taking pictures cause I thought, you know, my grandparents are elderly. I need to like take pictures. My, at the time my grandmother had passed away and I wanted to get this, you know, pictures. And I was like, kind of reenacted, laid down on the bed. Like how, how tall could he have been? He had to have been very short <laughs> because he was like right by my head. And for some reason, I mean, I've turned and looked at him. For some reason, I want to touch his face. I have no idea what possessed me to want to do that. It just happened. And I just raised my hand to want to touch his face. But he didn't let me. He just kind of held my hand. And he's staring me right in the face. I mean, we're like, I don't know, this far away from each other or something. And and he's just holding my hand gently. I feel the pressure of it, right? It, but it, no warmth to it, no cold, just pressure, very gentle. And then he's looking straight at me and I hear a, a voice that says, all it says is this, Jesus is coming quickly, Matthew. And it did, his lips didn't move. His lips didn't move at all. And uh, immediately I find myself looking back up at the ceiling. And at this point, like dur- all during that experience, I was never afraid, like, which it would be odd because I, I was, I think I was easily spooked back then about things. You know, I just, I wasn't. It's a pretty timid personality. Even today, I'm fairly timid uh, in regards to personality. If that were to happen today, I don't know. I'd run for the door or something. I don't know. But I was at total peace. Like it, everything was perfectly chill. And um, but after the event, I I did I started to experience some sort of like sleep paralysis, which I've never had before and I've never had since. Which, from what people tell me who have it regularly, um, you know, it's it can be pretty frightening. And so. I didn't have sleep paralysis when I saw the, what I call the angel because I could move. I could move my hand I, or something. It, I guess I don't I guess it was my physical hand I was moving. And so but afterward, I, I just couldn't move. and I tried screaming. I couldn't. Nothing came out of my lips. I was totally paralyzed. It was very but I could still see around in the room. Well, I don't know how long that lasted. It lasted seemed like an eternity, but it probably was like three seconds or something. And I just get out of bed and I run up to my grandparents room. And I tell my grandmother, my grandpa had already gone to like a prayer breakfast that morning and uh, she was still asleep. I couldn't wake her up. And so I just go back to the bed 
And I, I immediately had this impression that this was like some sort of God thing, like an angel or something. I was a believer, you know, so I had categories for how to think about these sorts of things. And um, I just remember praying. I was scared to death, like a, a, afterward. I, and so I remember praying, like, God, don't let that happen again. <laughs> don't, don't do that again. <laughs> and what, what's fascinating, though, is um, that I told my grandparents the next day, they were totally receptive. They're believers like, yeah, you saw an angel. It was just like totally oh, really? chill about it, you know. And and so we, we just go through our day the next that day and then go to sleep again that night, wake up and we go to church. And nobody knows about this experience like at their church by, you know, no means. So we go to church. We're sitting in the pew. The pastor gets up on the stage and he uh, begins his sermon with these words. He says, if I could give this sermon one title, it would be Behold, I Come Quickly. And and I looked at my grandmother and she's like into years. And I'm like, this is so weird, like, because this has been on our mind all day. This has been an experience that I've experienced, and we've been talking about it all day. And here the pastor just happens to be preaching on it. And so she takes me up to the pastor, and she says something to the effect, you know, God showed this young man something or whatever. And and he just kind of did, did what probably a pastor would do, just pat me on the back, say, oh, that's interesting, you know, good, whatever. And then that was it. Um and over time, you know, I just kind of shelved the experience altogether. You know, every year since then, I've kind of just come back to it. I was like, I wonder what that meant. Uh, and then about 2018, I just had this weird feeling, urge, like, I got to figure this out. So I started talking to people about it. And I talked to, you know, people with PhDs and scholars and, and whatnot. And what's fascinating is I was afraid I was going to be seen as a kook. But some of these people I talked to had their own experiences. And um, what's fascinating about it is there, there are similarities between well, there's just a lot of similarities to the experience I had with respect to what other people have really? in, in terms of their experience. Yeah. For example, the, the, the communication without the lips moving, that's a token example of what happens when people encounter, you know, what they, what they think are, uh, other beings or something that, it, that in fact, I talked to one guy who has done a lot of studies. He's a PhD, does a lot of studies, uh, in near death experiences. And he said, actually, Matt, he said, the fact that it was almost like telepathic communication, that's pretty normal. If it had been something other than that, that would have been unusual. And sure enough, diving into the reports, it's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty common. The other thing, too, is um, for me, that was meaningful. I don't have any empirical data to like present to you or show anybody that whatever. I, d I just don't. But I, that's OK with me. Even if nobody believed me, I'm totally fine with that. You know, um, it's just a subjective experience. But the, but the best explanation I've come up with is not that it was sleep paralysis or just something that happened in my skull. Um, I don't think it was an hallucination. I don't think it was anything demonic. I don't. I, I, I just think the best explanation is an angel of some sort, right? And because a hallucination wouldn't explain the event the next day at the, at the church, uh, which was so meaningful to me, um, hmm. you know, a hallucination wouldn't explain that. Um, and sleep paralysis doesn't seem to explain that either. A lot of sleep paralysis cases are very terrifying. And this wasn't terrifying, at least as I was experiencing it. Yeah, well, anyway, there's so much more I can say about this. But I, last week, I spoke with um, Del Allison, uh, New Testament professor at Princeton Theological yeah. Seminary, which he has an amazing book everybody should read. It's called Encountering Mystery. And he's had a ton of experiences. His family's had experiences. He knows people, all these experiences. And he, he just reached the conclusion on one experience that he's had was that, well, maybe the world's a lot different than my science teachers taught me, mm. that there's a complexity, there's a there's something to it that, that these experiences are not just what happens in a person's skull, there's some objectivity to it uh, to some extent. And so, um, yeah, and, and 
it's not uncommon for people to have experiences to, you know, later on, yeah, to have another experience that is synchronous with the previous experience. Like there's this whole category called synchronicity. I know Diana Pasolka in her book, American Cosmic, published by Oxford, um, she talks about synchronicity. So for me, the synchronicity was the event at church that somehow was connected to it. It was just very odd. Now, telling the story, people listening, they might think, ah, that's, I don't know, Matt, you know, and that's totally fine. There's a, there's a level of subject subjectivity to it that I certainly own, but, um, I'm anyway, I'm super, I I can't, I can't deny it. So is the one response people give is like, well, you're, I know you think you woke up, but you're probably still in in a dream. Is that what some people yeah. Thing yeah. Like, and that's yeah. a legitimate, that's a yeah. legitimate response. And it's and you would say hundred percent, like, do you know, like there's, there's no, you know, that like you would say that's just not true or Here, here's what <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. What I will say is that I, I felt, I, I felt like I was in the room. I could see the room. I had movement of some sort. What was it? Bodily movement. I, I think cause I, when I raised my hand, what was weird was when I raised my hand, I kind of saw this weird reddish trail follow my hand I, that sounds so weird i'm just telling you how it happened but, so i don't know if i was like I, to quote paul whether i was in the body or out of my yeah. i don't know but i but i feel like but i had sensation i had you know there was there was vision i saw i felt i heard um and there were there were multiple sensations now the thing is okay i don't know if i would I, I don't think i was asleep in the sense that we think i'm, I'm like 99 confident i wasn't if I was, if it was some version of an altered state of consciousness or some sort of, um, we, I don't think it was sleep process, but just say it was sleep process of some sort, um, that doesn't at all do away with the, uh, the idea that there was some sort of objective reality to it. Because, I mean, you, you could go the, the route and say that brain states equal mental states. Mm-hmm. You could say that, that all, you, all of our experiences are nothing but mental, uh, you know, the firing of neurons. But that's one view. I don't buy them that view. That's a materialistic, philosophical, natural view. What I think is more possible and likely is the is what actually Dell Ellison calls and others call the transmission idea. Is that that yeah, just because you need a body to experience objective reality doesn't mean there's not objective reality outside your skull, right? That that you that that the body that you have transmits things to you that you wouldn't experience without the body, of course. So. There's no, there's no doubt in my mind, at least, that, that people's experiences have some sort of uh, physical, biological explanation. But I don't think the biological explanation can explain all the data. Yeah, and uh, anyway, I don't think. I mean, I want clarity on the uh, your your Christian or social environment. Is it like very charismatic, where a lot of people are experiencing this, or, or is it not? Because um, yeah, not, and I don't know if that even ma- matters necessarily. But it sounds like from you, it this could. is not. Um, kind of what is in your soul. Like, you know, it doesn't seem like it, it was socially influenced for you to be motivated to have this kind of experience, if that makes any sense. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, we were, I was in, as a kid, we were kind of in an environment that was slightly charismatic for sure. My parents, my grandparents went to a Pentecostal church. Okay. So it, they had categories for this. I had categories for it. It wasn't like a, it didn't shatter any worldview. Like I already had ways okay. of conceiving how this is possible. But to your larger point, which I think is a good one, is that, okay, at what, what point do our assumptions dictate the way we experience things, right? So it would, it would a charismatic have more, be more prone to charismatic experiences and whatnot. But here's the thing to consider. It's, it's not the case that that's always true. Like, like I, especially in my experience, I, this was totally unsolicited. I didn't, you know, 
smoking anything the day before. <laughs> I hadn't been praying for this. There was no praying for this at all. Uh, there was no hallucinogen that would cause an hallucination. And and this is true of many reports. People who have these sorts of experiences, whether they're religious, supernatural, paranormal, whatever, poltergeist type, you know, in most, I would say most cases, not all cases, but a lot of cases, these are totally unsolicited. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were not wanted. And, and, and in many cases, um, uh, you know, th- there may not even be categories for understanding them. I mean, I, like I've heard stories of atheists having mm-hmm. weird experiences. I heard a story, my buddy, a, a guy who's a PhD, studies near-death experiences, he was telling me about an Ivy League philosophy professor who saw an angel, <laughs> and he had no way of understanding this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, he had no, no yeah. assumption that would spawn that and, event. And, the and, angel, other and you said the angel didn't have wings. No, no, no. Well, that no, makes it more, that makes it more credible because angels in the Bible don't have wings. So when people say, Oh, and I saw this angel and it had these massive wings and feathers. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe they, the angels are different now than in the Bible, but there's no, and people say, what about, yeah. you know, cherubim and seraphim? I'm like, well, those aren't angels. Those are cherubim and seraphim. I right. think, but um, yeah, the, the, yeah. the, the, the spiritual beings encounter humans in the Bible look like mm-hmm. very much the way you described your experience. I think so. so there's yeah it's hard to just say this is what an angel looks like in my opinion you know because you know doesn't scripture even say that we can entertain them unawareingly so sure. yeah and and so I I don't know I mean there's it's I think experiences like these are very complex because I don't think it's the case like philosophically I don't think it's the case that we experience anything objectively we're always interpreting things through angles through perspectives viewpoints and whatnot. Like, so the, the objectivity, whether you're reading the Bible or you're, you're listening to this podcast, you are coming at it from a particular angle that allows you entrance into the conversation, but it's not all in our skull. Like there is an objective reality. So I, I was telling Dale this uh, last week is to say, like, I've never really bought the, the dichotomy between say when it comes to hermeneutics that, um, that we can just read the Bible objectively or sure. this weird subjective relativistic approach either. Like those aren't the only two options, right? And so you need both. And there's a whole, you know, philosophy has dealt with this problem for, you know, centuries, right? So, or longer. So, um, anyway, um, yeah, in my own experience, um, I think there were definitely subjective aspects. Yeah. I think there was an objective reality to it. Do you well. have, um, with your experience or other similar experiences, and then I do want to move on to UFOs, because yeah. I know that they're different, but they're in the same broad, very broad kind of category. Um, do, what about like a purpose behind it? Like this is what I, I often think when I hear it. And I, so just where I'm coming from is on paper, I'm charismatic. I read the Bible. Sure. I don't think that stuff has necessarily ceased. And yet I also don't need to see that stuff for me to know God's active. You know, we have huge chunks of the biblical story where God's not parting Red Seas. He's working kind of behind the scenes. Other times when he is, you know, and and, and so I don't, um, I don't need it to happen. I believe it can happen. I'm also like many, maybe skeptical Americans been seeing so many abuses to that or just stuff that's just either made up or contrived or whatever that as a, as a very left brain person, I'm always like, uh, I don't want to be skeptical, but I kind of am, you know, my main point, I guess for me is like, what do I, what does it matter what I think? You know, like, I don't, yeah, <laughs> like I'm right. not, I, I, I don't go around like judging people's experience at all. Yeah. And, and especially if, if, if there's blatant kind of contradiction with what I see in the Bible, 
then I'm like, I might be more more skeptical. But when it does resonate with, I mean, I again, I, I would just say your story very much resonates with stuff I see in the Bible. So there, there's little room for me to, to be skeptical. Not that it even matters what my <laughs> whether I believe it or not. And I appreciate. Here's another thing why it makes it more credible is you don't feel this need for people to believe your report. I mean, you said it several times. You're like, I, no, I you know, no, yeah, it's a suggestive, you know. And I think that gives more credibility when so, some people so desperately need other people to believe it. To me, I'm like, well, yeah. why? Like, why? Why? why What's the motive? Care? There's a motive there in that. Yeah, but I go, yeah. so my question yeah. is, what? It, what is? What do you think is the purpose behind your experience, other similar experiences, and why do certain people experience and not others? Or is that just not even answerable? Um, was it confirmation to your faith? Was it integral to your calling? Or these other scholars who have had similar experiences? Like, I'm just like, what? Uh, is it simply arbitrary? Is there something? Is there a logic behind it that we just won't know, or is there something special about the people that are receiving these experiences? Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely not the latter. It's not the last <laughs> bit. I don't think that at all. I think I, I, all I can do is speak for myself. I think if you were to ask that question to anybody, like there would be a million different answers. For me, what you know, what I took from it, like, and I I spent a lot of time thinking about talking to people, and um, it's very personal. I won't go into all like personal stuff, but for me, I can say that that experience has helped my faith because I'm a, I'm a skeptical person. Like I don't believe things easily. I don't even believe like, even when it comes to my Christian faith, Yeah. like I'm, I'm a convinced Christian, uh, but I'm going to ask questions. Like, you know sure. what I mean? Yeah, I know that. And, and so the unexamined life is not worth living. And so I want to ask those questions. And so I'm not, uh, I'm not immune to doubt. And so for me, there've been plenty of times like my wife and I, we've talked about this, um, I, going back to that experience was very um, helpful for me in my own spirituality. And the only reason it seems weird to me, I think, is because I live in the 21st century, a scientific era that needs a rational explanation or scientific explanation for everything. And quite frankly, if this had happened in the first century, I mean, you, you know the Bible, you've been doing, this is what you do. Like, If this happened in the first century, like, you know, somebody said, hey, what happened? Well, this angel did this for me. He's like, and they're like, oh, okay, that's cool. Okay, yeah. that's happened to me. You know, or I heard that happen yeah. to grandma too. You know, it's Tuesday. So, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there was not a, but they were pre-enlightenment, pre-scientific yeah. people that, you know, didn't have the, the, uh, the prejudice against uh, the supernatural realm. Right. So anyway, so it was meaningful in that regard. It's also been meaningful. I know this sounds weird. One thing I've just taken away is that that the, the angel or whatever he was, or it was, um, said my name and like he said, Jesus is coming quickly, Matthew. I don't know about the eschatology part, you know, mm -hmm. um, but, but the Matthew part, it really meant a lot to me. And even looking back, I, I just, God knows our names. God knows Preston's name. He knows my name. He knows our names. And there's something deeply personal about the Christian faith that I don't know. That's just what I connected to. And in, in there are other things, but yeah. Oh, that's awesome, man. Thank you for sharing that. I, I didn't, yeah, you, you mentioned in the email exchange, like you've had <laughs> an experience that I was like, I, 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 um, I wasn't aware of that. Okay. Let's transition to, yeah. UFOs slash aliens. Give us a kind of one-on-one. What do we know? I, I, the one thing we should distinguish is between, you know, unidentified flying object doesn't mean alien. Sometimes I, I still, when I hear UFO, I think alien, but it's like, well, no, these are yeah. aliens would be maybe part of, UFOs, but not, that doesn't mean the same thing, but give us maybe a one-on-one, like, what do we, yeah, I don't know. You can start wherever you want. Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> you have opened a can of worms, Preston. <laughs> Here we go. No, I think, I think, yeah, you're right. ET, uh, aliens and UFOs are, are different subjects. Uh, 
they, they there is crossover, but only because of an interpretive process. So let me let me explain this. Um, when people talk about UFOs, they're called UAP now, uh, unidentified aerial phenomena or anomalous phenomena. Uh, the reason for that is because not all UFOs that were being classified as UFOs are actually like flying objects. I mean, the data suggests uh, recent reports, the new law that was passed by Congress and Biden this year um, uh, talks about it as UAP anomalous phenomena because some the things that people are reporting are under the ocean. Some of them are not flying. They're not flying. Flying suggests a propulsion system, wings and all that. But some of these things are like, they don't even look like that. So are they flying? Or, you know, it's just really weird. Um, now, where the the thing is, people interpret the UFO phenomena, um, or UAP phenomena, in different ways. The, one hypothesis is the ET hypothesis, right? That these are extraterrestrials, you know, from, you know, name your favorite planet kind of thing. But that's just a hypothesis, okay? They're they're not necessarily um, they're not necessarily the same thing. So so when it comes to this topic, it's very important that people understand that ninety five percent of the stuff on YouTube and you know every you go Google UFO, I would say ninety to ninety five percent of the stuff is just crazy. Especially prior to twenty seventeen, uh, there was an article in the New York Times that came out December twenty seventeen that that just changed the whole conversation that pri prior to this, it was, it was a, there was a stigma associated with UAP. Um, now after that article, the New York times published, um, it's, it's, everybody's talking about it. And when I say everybody, I mean, uh, highly credible scientists, um, and, and people in academia, you know, now, now you have an amazing amount of people in, within government or outside of recently outside of government, um, talking about this in ways that are just, I, I don't know what to do with it. It's just crazy. Um, we can go into some of the things that these high profile people have said before, but, but just to kind of give you a taste, um, in the, 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 the modern UFO, uh, well, let's, let's talk aliens for a minute. The whole alien idea is not new to the modern era. Um, it's not new. It didn't start with Roswell. It didn't start with rumors around that place. Um, but this was actually an idea that was um, talked about a lot in antiquity uh, and, and really uh, in, in the church even. Uh, there's a great book by my friend Paul Thigpen. It's called uh, Extraterrestrial Intelligence and the Catholic Faith. He's a, he's a Catholic theologian, PhD from Emory University, and he gives a great overview of the conversation in the past about alien existence and whatnot. And, and essentially the idea in some sectors of Christianity was that if you say that God didn't create, or if you say there are, there's not a plurality of worlds, that was the language they used, that there were not more worlds, or, or that there couldn't be more worlds, then you are somehow limiting the omnipotence of God. And so that didn't mean that they were saying there were more, more than uh, one world that's occupied, hmm. but they were saying at least you have to admit the possibility of it. And in fact, Paul starts off his book really humorously. He said, look, I know everybody's going to say I'm a kook and you're going to start making me tinfoil hats. But let me tell you something, you're going to need to make more than one tinfoil hat. And he names all the like the theologians and the philosophers who've talked about this topic. Huh. And so one thing I like to say is that the alien topic uh, it has not always had a stigma to it. Hmm. Um, not by a long shot. Um, that's only the stigma is recent, actually. I'm talking like the last century, recent eight last eighty years or so. There, there's a reason for the stigma because um, in the in the early days, 1950s or so, uh, there were a lot of reports coming out, and this this is high, this is established. I mean, you can look at um, what reporters are saying about this, and even 
even uh, declassified documents that were really never meant to see the light of day. They came out, you know, and basically all it showed was that um, there were a lot of incre- a lot of reports that people were making about seeing things in the sky. And the, the U.S. government had a big concern with that because they thought this could be a national security issue. OK, and, and the reason they thought it was a national security issue is not because it's aliens or not even because of the UFO. It just their, their, their phone lines were being like, you know, uh, peltered with these reports. And they were afraid um, that maybe the Soviets could exploit that. It would get so bogged down with these reports that we wouldn't see an ICBM come through or something, you know. So the, the idea was to completely discredit these accounts, to, to make people who report these accounts seem like kooks. There's nothing to it. To, because if if you can convince normal people that this is a weird, abnormal topic, they will not talk about it. Mm-hmm. They won't bring it up. And then that's why you've had uh, so much non-reporting of this issue, especially by military pilots, commercial pilots, because they don't want to ruin their careers. And um, but when when 2017 came came about, the New York Times published an article by uh, by three journalists, um, uh, Leslie Kane, Ralph Blumenthal, and Helene Cooper. And basically, it was fairly sensational. They um, had met with a source who uh, later became known as Lou Elizondo, who was a Pentagon official. And he he said, yeah, I, I ran a super secret UFO study that nobody knew about. And I'm really angry that the Pentagon's not taking it seriously. I'm resigning in protest. And, and of course, that just made the headlines. And What's interesting, there's lots to that, and I'll, let me just say this and I'll stop and you can, you can ask any questions you want, but what's interesting about that is that one reason that Lou Elizondo said that was frustrating to him was that he was trying, I think he was trying to brief the Secretary of Defense, like there's these weird things that are happening and, and we need to pay attention to this, and he was never able to do that. And the reason he was never able to do it is because, in his words, there were fundamentalist Christians, okay, who thought that this was satanic or demonic and we shouldn't be messing with it. And he was so upset by that and because of a religious sort of prejudice uh, that, that he couldn't get anything done. And and that sounds crazy, but actually Senator Harry Reid, the, the late Senator Harry Reid from Nevada, he was the Senate Majority Leader, very powerful senator. He said the same thing, that, yeah, th- there was pushback within the Pentagon because there were fundamentalists, his words, Christians who thought this was demonic and we shouldn't be touching it. So it wasn't real quick. It wasn't the, the I'm hearing the pushback was never the incredulous nature of the evidence. It was the potential byproduct of what would happen if people got a hold of this kind of information. That was the concern. Uh, well, if I understand you right, the, what do you mean? Like the, they were like, concerned about the information they got? Like um, it wasn't that these claims were were not credible. It was if people did right. find out about these, these fundamentals are going to do weird stuff with there. This group's going to do weird. So it's it's like kind of the results of finding out about. That's right. The, the religious people, they were like, they didn't want to dabble in Satanism, essentially, right? They didn't want to get into that because their their interpretation is this all has to be satanic. And and I don't, they, there were never really reasons given why they thought that. I suspect, and, and by the way, these are highly placed uh, individuals within the Pentagon, right? These are people who see things that we'll never see, right? And they were saying it, I definitely suspect, is because they were seeing things that defied physics, they were seeing things that, I mean, for lack of a better word, this is my word, but that seemed like magic, right? And then that just turned on their spook meter and they're like, ah, we don't want anything to do with this. And so Lou Elizondo thought that was just an absurd 
uh, he's open to a spiritual interpretation, but he, he didn't want to close the door. Like maybe this is something else, you know, for all he knew, maybe this is like the Chinese, you know, or maybe it's, maybe it is something exotic and out of this world, but so he wasn't claiming, he wasn't claiming there's concrete evidence for aliens. He was saying there's are UFOs and we're not sure the, whether it's something this, this worldly or something other worldly or whatever. He thought, Okay, so yeah, when it comes to Lou on on this, like at the time, yeah, he he wanted to keep it everything open, and even today, like I mean, I trust what he's saying. I don't have any reason to suspect that he's lying or anything. Um, I think he's a highly credible individual. But his point was, yeah, let's keep it open. We have to keep all possibilities open. You know, in recent interviews, like he's made statements like it's his personal opinion. He has to speak like that because he has NDAs that he signed, non disclosure agreements. And he could like go to prison if he shares too much. But he he's said things that m- definitely make you think that there's something exotic about this phenomenon. That's not ours. That it's not Chinese or Russian tech. It's you know whatever. And in fact, he, in one interview, he he made this weird comment, which he's he's not elaborated on. He was asked if we knew what you knew, what would our feeling be? And he said he he paused and he said it would be somber. You know, and and so it, it was his. He said elsewhere, it's his opinion that this, that some of this stuff was exotic material. Matt Halstead is not saying it is. I'm just saying what he's saying that yeah. it is right. And we say exotic, so, you mean extraterrestrial? Or- yeah, but I don't want to put words in Lou's mouth. But exotic is a broader category than extraterrestrial. If you if you if you look at what people are saying about this, it, you don't get the impression that people necessarily think it's extraterrestrial. Okay, you don't get the idea that this is you know, some distant species on another planet that came here that somehow transversed, uh, traversed uh, a crazy amount of space to get here. Some people think it's very possible that whatever it is, the words they use is that it's been here for a long time and it could, it, it may be closer to us than, than ET. That's, I know that sounds weird, but that's, that's the language that they use. Like, some species living in the deep dark sea that's not coming or like what like or am i thinking too three-dimensionally or <laughs> no, no 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 yeah I, that's what they're, they're they're open to that idea in fact in the one of the cases that came out that hasn't been resolved at all was the nimitz incident of 2004 what was so that? just briefly yeah th- so basically these uh these pilots um f-18 pilots were out uh, I think west of San Diego, quite a ways. They were all flying doing practice maneuvers and stuff, and they got a call that um, I can't remember all the details. But anyway, long story short, they uh, there was something spotted down by the bottom of the o- or uh, above the ocean, about fifty feet above the ocean, and it was this forty feet forty foot long uh, object that had no visible means of propulsion, no wings. It looked like a tic tac. It's called the tic tac incident. And it's literally hovering over the water, but it's very erratic. It's like a ping pong ball, he said, in a glass jar. It's just doing weird things, but he sees it visually, okay? And it's hovering over the water, he says. This is David Fravor. You can you can find this on CBS 60 Minutes. He's done a lot of interviews. And it's hovering over water that is churning. It's And it looks to be a big object under the water, and it's churning. And then anyway, so he, he dips his F-18 down to take a closer look. And at that point, he said, the thing responded to him. He thought it was intelligent. It responds to him and kind of starts mimicking and mirroring what he's doing. And then right then it just zips off at who knows how fast it went. And then he gets, he's like, it's gone. And then he gets a radio call that says, Hey, you're not going to believe this, but 
this thing has gone to your cap point or your your merge location where you were spo- you're supposed to be in like the next 30 minutes or something. They have a place on the map where they're supposed to fly to. Somehow it knew where to go, right? And it was there. And um, so that's just one incident um, that he sees with his eyes. Interestingly enough, what the Navy was observing was, it's just absolutely, it's crazy. I don't know what to do with it, but uh, they were observing these objects at 80,000 feet. And within a matter of like a second, like 60 seconds, it dropped to 50 feet above the water. And that, that would turn any human into soup, right? The G forces, you can't, it's impossible, right? Um, so what, whatever this is, it, it, it's really weird. And in fact, David Fravor, his own words, he said, you know, this doesn't seem like anything that we could do or make. This is, I think he even used the phrase out of this world. That's what he said. Like it's defined. So, laws of, yeah, I, that that's, it's, those are the things I keep hearing. I, I haven't, I've done minimal, just like hearing people talk on podcasts and stuff. It's that kind of like hugely defined in all the laws of, of science, you know, by that massive just drop in elevation or whatever within a second. This episode is sponsored by Camp Rockmont. Are you looking for a new screen-free adventure for your son this summer? Then Camp Rockmont might be the perfect place for him. Rockmont is an interdenominational Christian summer camp for boys ages 7 to 17, and it's located in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina. Camp Rockmont provides age-progressive opportunities for your son to challenge himself, make lifelong friends, and grow as an individual. Whether it's learning how to uh, guide a kayak down a river, or how to plant and harvest food at their on-site organic farm, or just learning how to navigate life and community. There are exceptional counselors who are there to guide your son every step of the way. Over 90% of parents report their sons grew in self-confidence and independence even after just a single session at Camp Rockmont. Now, I like to get to know my sponsors before I advertise them. So I reached out to the director just to get to know him a little more. And he's an awesome dude. I was so impressed with his just approach to Christianity, approach to how to run a camp. And I mean, he happens to be an an avid Theology and Raw listener, and that's not why I think it's awesome, but it is an added benefit. So check out Camp Rockmont. They offer two, three, or four-week sessions that are designed to help your son thrive. And you can receive $300 off any session by visiting Camp Rockmont at rockmont.com forward slash Theo. That's rockmont.com forward slash Theo. All the info is in the show notes. Hello friends, registration is now open for Exiles and Babylon Conference and I cannot wait for this conference. Here's a few topics that we're gonna wrestle with. The future of the church, disability in the church, multi-ethnic perspectives on American Christianity and a conversational debate on the problem of evil and suffering. We have Eugene Cho, Elise Fitzpatrick, Matt Chandler, Michelle Sanchez, Justin Gibney, Devin Stalamar, Hardwick, the list goes on and on. Joey Dodson's gonna be there. Um, Greg Boyd and Clay Jones, they're gonna be engaging in this conversational debate on the problem of evil and suffering. And of course, we have to have Ellie Bonilla and Street Hymns back by popular demand. And Tanika Wyatt and Evan Wickham will be leading our multi-ethnic worship again. We're also adding a pre-conference this year. So we're going to do a, um, an in-depth scholarly conversation on the question of women in ministry featuring two scholars on each side of the issue. So uh, Drs. Gary Brashears and Sydney Park are on the complementarian side and Drs. Cynthia Long-Westfall and Philip Payne on the EGAL side. So March 23rd to 25th, 2023 here in Boise, Idaho. We sold out last year and we'll probably sell this year again. Uh, so if you want to come, if you want to come live, then I would register sooner than later. And you can always attend virtually if you can't make it out to Boise in person. So all the info is at theologyintherod.com. That's theologyintherod.com.
what are some of the key, like some main, most credible incidences? Because even, I mean, all this is like, is it like one eyewitness? Like there's nothing that's been like, is there anything that has like hard evidence that can be relayed? Or are we all, is, are all these things left up to, and I don't mean to downplay it, but like subjective sure. um, incidences. Right. Yeah. Like what are sure. some of the most credible UFO experiences or yeah. UAP uh, into your mind? Yeah. Yeah, I think the Tic Tac is one of them. I got a couple more, but the Tic Tac one and the recent Navy ones have been, I, I, I deem them highly credible because these are people who are trained observers. Uh, they have every reason to not talk about this because it could ruin credibility. And I mean, it's my opinion. I think they actually saw something. What that is, I'm agnostic. I don't know. But I definitely think they saw something. Um, okay, so a couple more cases. One occurred in 1997. It's the the Phoenix Lights incident. This is really interesting. Uh I don't have any uh, opinion about what it was, but basically what happened was is over Phoenix one night, I think it was around March 13th, or March something, 1997, the Phoenix was just overflow, overblown with these all these lights. And I think it spanned multiple days. But the one day that was most interesting is that there were, it was this massive craft. I mean, I don't remember how long it was. Football size long is the, what the witnesses say, like football field sized, multiple football fields. And it was just massive, like creeping over the city. And uh, if you, you know, look on YouTube, you just see a bunch of lights in a triangular formation. But witness reports, and we're talking thousands of witness reports, you know, uh, all they all saw it. And many of them said, I mean, we could have maybe thrown a rock at it. It had salt solidity to it. It wasn't just lights, right? And it, it created such a, 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 you know, just... Uh, a big media frenzy, I guess. And so long story short, the, even the governor of Arizona wanted to know some information about it. And he, uh, but what was funny is he actually, he made fun of in a press conference. He made fun of all the witnesses. He was like, uh, you know, you guys are taking this way too seriously. It's not a big deal. And he later though, years later apologized for that because he said the truth is, and he didn't let anybody know this at the time, the truth is he saw it too, and he has no idea what it was, but he didn't <laughs> want to say anything about it. And he apologized because he, I mean, for all intents and purposes, he wanted to, he wanted to keep everybody calm, but, um, you know, I think a lot of people ended up feeling like kooks too. Um, and, but it turned out he actually saw it too. And he's like, I don't, I don't know what it is. You know, it's so weird. And he couldn't get any answers. Um, another case, which is, it, this is, cr this is a crazy incident, but I think it has a lot of merit to it. Um, this happened in, um, I think it was in Zimbabwe. Uh, it's the aerial, aerial school incident. Yeah, there's actually a, a recent documentary about it. It's pretty fascinating. So basically what happened is it, it's, a, it's a, a private Christian school, pretty large school. I believe it's Christian school. There are a bunch of young uh, uh, school kids are outside playing. We're talking second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth graders. They're outside playing, and the, the teachers are inside the building for a staff meeting, and all the kids are just outside playing. And this happened, I think, in the 90s. Um, and all of a sudden, there's a, the, the teachers hear a commotion outside. And they, these kids just, they're very distraught. They don't know what, something happened. And they're, uh, they're well, I, just, they're terrified in a sense. And they're amazed at something they saw. Long story short, um, these kids claim to see um, a craft that had landed with, beings coming out of it, walking around, staring at them. And they didn't quite look human. They looked humanoid, but they didn't look like people. And these kids, um, 
you know, drew pictures of it. They were uh, asked all these questions. And, and if you, if you watch the documentary, you can really get the sense of their sincerity. Um, you know, a lot of researchers point to this case because they say, you know, kids have no reason to lie. Many of them have never heard of UFOs. You know, it's just a weird experience that they had. And, um, interestingly enough, this got the attention of a BBC reporter and, uh, it even made the, the, the news made its way to Harvard psychiatrist, John Mack, um, who was, who was a well-known psychiatrist, uh, uh, an award-winning uh, author. And he flies over there and he, I mean, he just finds them absolutely credible. And, and he, he did a lot of, a, a lot of studies on abduction cases and basically his, his in his opinion, um, the people that experience abductions and especially these young kids, there's nothing mentally wrong with them. Like these are legit yeah. experiences that they're having, you know? And so, yeah, I, I find the aerial case interesting cause they're young kids and, um, the probability that they're all lying and they're all lying to tell the same thing and that they have not changed their story after 20 something, 30 years, you know, and so, some of them, like the story just changed their life. Like their, their life is on a different trajectory now. It just, it was shocking to them. And so I, I give that a high probability, whatever it was. Um, the Phoenix license, interesting case. And of course the Nimitz. So those are my top three, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, when you talk to people about this, when I started talking about my experience, it was funny because the people that I, that heard it, you know, I would talk to you about, they were like, I've got to tell you something. I got to tell you something. And anyway, one person had this experience and, uh, he, a highly educated person, very smart person, a trusted person. He claims to have seen a UFO as well. And I believe him. I think he actually saw something uh, that really shook him up. Uh, you know, and he, he's had another, another, a couple of other experiences that he's had too. And he initially, he told me, he's like, it really, it really affected his Christianity such that when the 2017 article came out about UFOs, mm -hmm. he was off on a business trip and he saw it come up in the hotel lobby and it just messed him up for a week because he had had these experiences too, kind of causing him to question his Christianity. And so for me, like, I can't emphasize just how much it's, how important it is for biblical scholars and theologians, confessional ones, especially to be talking about this, because you may not know it, but there are a lot of people who've had experiences that they don't have categories to think about. They don't understand. And I think it's important that we come alongside them, at least, not least for pastoral yeah. care. Yeah. And I mean, more recently, I feel like there are more and more UFO reports coming out, right? Or what's in the last since the since the 2017 article? Um, yeah, is there just more and more, especially of these like aerial objects define all laws of physics? Is that um, yeah, that, that's absolutely correct because the 2017 article really helped reduce the stigma. Okay. Um, and and pilots not only are pilots feeling more comfortable talking about it, but there actually are official channels within the government. Like the Navy came out and said, we want you to start talking about this now, and you're not going to lose your job. Yeah, it's 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 pretty fascinating, I, I think, in that regard. Um, so yeah, the stigma has been reduced. In fact, the New York Times, the New York, the New York Times has published some interesting things since the 2017 article too. I mean, really, things that are out there that would make you think, what in the world is going on? Why are why are they talking about this? So a follow up article to, to that, for example, comes from the same authors of that original piece. And uh, they quote Harry Reid saying that, you know, it was his belief that that the U.S. has material in its possession. Right. And he kind of pushed back against that once it came back out. But the reporter said, no, we're, we're standing by the, the article um, for sure. But that 
Mm. That aside, um, even in that same article, mm-hmm. they quote um, a, a gentleman by the name of Eric Davis. He's a physicist. He's worked with the government and stuff. And and um, he even made the comment. He said, uh, on the record, he's never he's never backtracked on this. That he had even recently given uh, members of Congress a briefing about off-world vehicles not made on this world, <laughs> not made on this planet, kind of thing. And what's fascinating to me, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that's true. I'm not saying I've not seen any evidence to suggest that that's true, but what is true is that there are highly credible people saying these things are true, (laughs) right? Um, Let me give you another example. Christopher Mellon, he was the deputy, uh, deputy assistant secretary of defense for intelligence at the Pentagon. And in a very recent blog post, he makes, makes a statement. He said, I've, I've talked to uh, highly credible people who believe that um, uh, credible people in the government is what he said, um, who believe that we have materials in our possessions, uh, which is fascinating to me. And I'm not saying that's true. I'm not saying any of that is remotely true. Uh, what I'm saying is that there, it's true that these people are saying it's true. And what's I, I just don't know why people aren't talking about this more. It's really interesting that the media is not picking up on that, even to the point that Congress in its recent bill, the, the National Defense Authorization Act for 20, 2023, in the bill, like seriously, people need to go read this. It, it it basically tells the Secretary of Defense, we as Congress, we want to know uh, about all of your UAP activity, even the stuff. Uh, and they uses uses language like we want to know if you've been reverse engineering. Like that's a term in the bill. Have you been reverse engineering? We want to know all that stuff. And I mean, this is stuff like out of science fiction. I mean, I you know that's a term we everybody used in fiction. Um, but my my question is. Why does Congress think it's plausible that to use that sort of language that that's it, apparently they think it's plausible hmm. that there is something out there right that that they want to know about uh, yeah I just think that's fascinating I don't know why why more people aren't talking about it to be honest with you are, so I'm are not th- saying it's true yeah but in terms of the origin origins of the UFOs let me as I hear you talk I'm I'm thinking of four different possible origins number one aliens from other planets number two Russian Chinese tech that's somehow is beyond our imagination. Um, number three, uh, could be spiritual, could be something not from a different planet, but from a different spiritual realm, kind of like your angelic encounter. Um, and number four is kind of, I don't know this, I, I don't even know how to articulate it, but something other, something <laughs> deep in the yeah. sea, something that defies material, immaterial realms, or that's not necessarily otherworldly, but is also none of the other three options. Is that, am, am I, are there others I'm missing or are those, is that the those, best way to think Those are origins? all the things that, those are all the things that people are talking about. Um, yeah. If you talk to Chris Mellon, you know, the, the deputy assistant secretary of defense for intelligence, he, he seems to think that this is definitely not us tech. It's not Russian tech. I mean, he was in charge of like looking at all this stuff when he was at the Pentagon. So he doesn't think that's what it is. Other people do think that's what it is. You know, there there are credible people who think, no, this is just man-made kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And all of those options, I think, can be on the table. I think the most interesting for me is I don't buy the ET hypothesis. I, it's very, it's possible, but the universe is just so big. Unless there's like some, I, I just don't see how it's possible that somebody could like come here, right, uh, and tra- traverse, you know, billions and billions of light years. It's possible. I'm not a physicist, so maybe there's some science that I don't understand, but. But I think the most intriguing one is probably number four to me, um, the the other category that you mentioned, that maybe it's not ET, it's not human, it's what is there another category? And this is where I think perhaps the Christian tradition can come into play a little bit. Let me let me say something about that. But before I do, let me let me just 
recount how even the scientific community might be thinking about this too. There are many scientists who, who don't buy the ET hypothesis, but who do believe the UAP phenomena is real. Um, some scientists, such as Gary Nolan at Stanford, uh, recently was interviewed, and he, he was tossing out all sorts of possibilities because he was actually working with the CIA. I mean, he, he's very public about this. The CIA came to him and said, hey, you're an expert immunologist. You know how to you know the how to do MRI scans like nobody else can. And so we want to come to you because some of our pilots have been seeing UAPs and they're coming in contact with them and they're having brain damage, essentially. We want you to tell us what's going on. And he thought it was a joke. He's like, ah, oh, this is a joke. He's like, they weren't joking, right? And so since then, he's been involved in UAP talk. His name's Gary Nolan, Stanford University. He, in a recent interview I was listening to, he made this comment. He said, this could be... A, a very terrestrial explanation, almost like a different civilization that we just can't haven't noticed, or maybe it's like an offshoot sort of thing. Now, I'm not, again, I, I have to reiterate to the audience, I'm not saying this. Yeah, no, no. Uh, yeah, yeah. Gary Nolan at Stanford <laughs> saying this. Okay, He's not saying that's true. He's saying it's possible. And uh, I found that interesting because if you look at Christian, so, some uh, people in Christian tradition, there there is a category like that. So think of, uh, think of Jerome, St. Jerome an important ancient scholar in, in our Christian tradition. Um, if you read his his treatise, The Life of, uh, of St. Paul, he, it's, it's a treatise about uh, the Desert Fathers, essentially. You know, he talks about, and he, in, in the story, he's talking about the, the father, the Desert Fathers. And there's a part in there where he said, one Desert Father, some sort of beastly figure that was intelligent, but it wasn't really like an angel. It wasn't really human. It was just like this different, beast. I think he calls it a monster. But the, it's funny, the monster actually uh, gave some praise to Christ that he met. But Jerome tells it like it's real, like it's a true event. And I'm not saying Jer I'm not saying Jerome's right, but I am saying that Jerome thought it could be right or that, well, Jerome had a category for thinking about this topic. He's not the only one. C.S. Lewis wrote a book, uh, I think it was his last book, um, called The Discarded Image. Highly recommend people read it. Um, and it basically, it's a synopsis of the medieval mind. Like what did the medieval, what was, what was their worldview? And so he talks about their, their view of the heavens and, and he talks about what all they thought existed in the heavens. And then he talks about their view of the earth. What's, what's in the earth? What's, what's man and what is man's soul? You know, but then there's a chapter wedged between these chapters, a chapter called the Longevi. And it's, it's, it's a word for the long livers, uh, or the fairies, uh, the, the medievals believed in fairies, the elves. And he, he's very cautious. He said, don't don't think fairy in the sense of the insect, you know, that you see in cartoon. But um, these are multiple different sizes. They're 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 rational, but they're non-human. They're not necessarily angelic. OK, mm -hmm. um, the medievals didn't know how to process. And so it's like a third rational species that, you know, that exists somewhere between heaven and earth kind of thing. And OK. Now, what's funny is he's telling this story and he's talking about how big were they? What were their size? Well, medievals thought this, medievals thought that. And then just out of nowhere, he says, you know, I knew somebody back in the day. She said she saw one and she said it was like the size of a child. And then he just kind of goes on and he, he tells it as if he like believes it. Like this is part of his argument. Somebody's personal experience with this humanoid, non-human thing, which is fascinating. I'm not saying that he's right. I'm not saying that his friend actually saw yeah. one, but I'm saying that. C.S. Lewis seemed to be okay with entertaining a, huh. a category for a third rational species. Well, Jerome and that, Jerome but. and Lewis are those are pretty big names. Um, and where my mind went, and I, I guess I need to give my non tinfoil hat 
caveat that I'm just thinking out loud, <laughs> not, not, not suggesting anything. I, know, I mean, I know nothing about this. Um, and do you I know do, how many emails that you're going to get and emails I'm going to get? <laughs> take a number. <laughs> this is take water. Number, yeah. Is <laughs> yeah. But yeah. And just so everybody knows, Matthew's office is filled with a bunch of, it looks like mush, mushrooms. So no, just kidding. Yeah, just kidding, everyone. kidding, kidding. Next to the NT right books. Nothing yeah. but theology. Yeah. Um, it, you know where my mind went just is like, is there anything in the Bible that could possibly be interpreted along the, that fourth option you're talking about? And I immediately went to the Nephilim and, and the men of renown. You have, according to the best interpretation, I'm not going to get into why I believe this, but I mean, it's just, it is the best interpretation. You have angelic beings having sexual relationships with females and producing some kind of offspring, whether they're the men of renown and the Nephilim or men of renown. And there's also this Nephilim. We're not totally sure. Flood wipes them out. But then in numbers 1333, the spies come in and they say there's Nephilim in the land. Same word. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and, and I think it's, um, is it Josh? No, Judge uh, Deuteronomy two and three. A reference to like giants. This is what when Michael Heiser was on my podcast several years ago. Okay, you have yeah. references to kind of they're not they're not called not human, but they're just what does that mean? There's giants like, and this is like yeah during the conquest yeah. era or yeah. I mean, we're talking like 1500 BC. This isn't like you know Genesis one to eleven stuff. So I mean, there are and some people say. <laughs> You know, Ezekiel one, some people say he, he was either on crack or, yeah. or saw alien beings. I mean, I th- <laughs> you know, he's clearly seen cherubim, yeah. you know, but, um, right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But he, I, he didn't see you. Yeah. yeah. So I, I don't know, like, like is, is there, could there be a, a window into even, um, biblically exploring other beings that are not simply animals nor humans? Um, and where'd they go uh, again? It, we, I thought the flood wiped them all out, but why, why do we see a reference to Nephilim in the land? Maybe that's a general word. It could be a general word for like, wow, oh, these people look really big. You know, they're like six, four instead of five eleven or whatever, or I don't know. It's interesting. That's the same word. That word is very rare in the old Testament, but I guess my, my, one of my many skeptical responses, haven't we exhausted creationers or not other pockets in this world that like no human has ever been or there could be like civilizations living that satellites can't identify yeah. or something or i guess that i, I know yeah. in, the, in the depth of the sea where, where there's stuff we even we don't right we have no not even i don't even know i I, th- I think like even sonar and stuff we can't really know exactly what's at the very very depth of the sea or maybe under the crust of the i don't know that's a good on the on the nephilim stuff like um yeah, I do think the best evidence supports that the ancient Jews thought in the exact same way that you thought. Like there's there's definitely a third sort of species that's created, made, you know, uh, through the uh, through the union of spiritual beings and humans. Right. That, that That's, yeah. I think, the view. That was one of the and only so, things that Jews unanimously believed in the first century. And that's that's without that was like it was Genesis six was like the John three sixteen of of first century Judaism. They talked about and so when Peter and Jude reference that passage with that kind of Jewish interpretation, it's it's yeah, that is the best interpretation of that passage. Oh, I, I agree. And so yeah, I mean, may, I'm not saying that those would be UFOs, modern UFOs, but at least but it does give Christians a category uh, through which they can maybe interpret these sorts of things. Um, the, the thing I would say about the Bible though, is that, you know, a lot of Christian response to these stories 
you know, there's several responses, but one is, well, they can't be real. They have, they have to be demonic or they're, they're just not true because the Bible doesn't say anything about aliens, right? The ET can exist because the Bible doesn't say anything about it. But at the end of the day, that's a, not a very good argument because well, it's not a good argument because it's an argument from silence. The Bible doesn't tell us everything anyway. It doesn't tell us that, uh, that the sun is what 93 million miles from the earth. It doesn't tell us a lot of scientific facts. And, and so we, we don't need to make those sorts of arguments. There could be lots of things out there that we don't know because the, you know, we don't know about from the Bible because the Bible doesn't tell us. But secondly is like, we shouldn't be presumptuous to think that God would tell us all of his dealings anyway. I mean, why, why do we think that God has to let us in on everything uh, initially? Like why, why can't God and why doesn't God allow us to make discoveries scientific, scientifically? That seems to be the way he works in, in many instances anyway. So I think my my passion, my heart in all of this is I, I am agnostic with respect to the origin of UAPs. I, I think it is increasingly hard to deny the reality of UAPs, um, okay. you know, given given a lot of things. But let's just I, I always want to think ahead. I always want to be thinking and, you know, what would happen if there was an announcement or a discovery? What would this do to the Christian faith? And, uh, objectively, I don't think it would do anything negative to the Christian faith. I think the Christian faith can, can accommodate whether it's a third rational species or ET or whatever. I think it could definitely accommodate that quite well. And there's been work on this, um, mm. by, by scholars and theologians. Um, but, but I, I guess from a pastoral perspective, we, we do need to talk about this. It's because if there is ever an announcement that we're not alone in the universe, I want Christians to have been ready to think about this. Uh, and I don't necessarily think Christians are. I, you know, I, I'm in evangelicalism, broadly speaking. I don't know how good of an evangelical I am, but nonetheless, that's kind of where I am. I don't want them to like lose their faith over something yeah. like this. There's more, more things that we, we know, but we just don't need to do that. Um, it's interesting. The Brookings Institute, which was a think tank in the 1960s, wrote a paper about, you know, this sort of thing. And their advice was, um, if there was ever an announcement of ET, that this could cause social religious, uh, disruption in some extent. And, uh, it's an interesting article, 1960s Brookings Institute. You can go to brookings.edu and read it. I encourage everybody to do that. And there was concern initially that, um, and perhaps still is that we, that this could cause some sort of disruption. So, yeah. So if I heard you right, you said, the ET slash aliens extraterrestrial, you, you you find that not credible much at all, like as as far as an origin. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't because I mean it's possible, but, but, but not I, real quick, not for theological reasons. Like the story right. of scripture, it would completely conflict with that. that that's where my, that's what I've always heard is like no, th the story. I mean, what would that do to Jesus and redemption of humanity and people created in God's image and like. Um, it, it would interrupt the story too significantly for it to be theologically possible. Do you find that argument credible or do you think it's, I don't think the discovery of ET would mess any of that up. I don't think it would change us as being image bearers of God. I don't think it, uh, even, even when it comes to redemption, you know, it, you know, it can ET be redeemed and there's been work, work done on this, uh, by theologians. Uh, but I think, yeah, I mean, there's lots of options. I mean, for one, who says ET has fallen, right? Maybe they haven't fallen. Maybe, maybe they haven't uh, sinned against God, right? Uh, perhaps they have, and so could God redeem them? And the answer is yes. And but how could He redeem them? Again, there there are researchers, uh, scholars talking about this, and you know, Paul Thigpen in his book I mentioned earlier, ET ETI and the Catholic Faith, he he 
he talks about how he draws a lot upon Thomas Aquinas. And Thomas basically said, you know, God didn't have to redeem humanity via the incarnation. It wasn't necessary in that sense. He could have chosen a number of different ways of doing it. And so Paul Thigpen argues, well, okay, if Thomas was thinking about E.T., then it's reasonable to think that he would also say, well, God could redeem E.T. in a way different than an incarnation. Perhaps God has a different way of redeeming them, okay? Yeah. And uh, and that's kind of a Thomistic approach. You know, he's convinced that that's the case. One option, too, is that maybe, you know, the Christ as, you know, the incarnation here on earth was uh, sufficient to cover all of creation. There are texts in Romans 8, there are texts in Colossians that seem to suggest kind of that cosmic Christ view that what happens mm-hmm. here impacts all of creation. That's debuted, di, dis, di, uh, disputed, though, uh, by some scholars and theologians, of course. But, um, but you know, in terms of like, what does all creation mean in Romans 8 and, mm-hmm. and in Colossians? So, so you're, 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 the UFOs not being ET, for you, is more practical. It's like the vastness of the universe. What are the odds, if there were, they would travel even know to travel to this tiny little planet on the front you know like um unless they had some tech that they can sense other life forms in the universe and they had the physical ability to fly billions and billions of miles or whatever and because they already had identified us from a some alien version of the hubble space (laughs) telescope or something (laughs) yeah i mean who knows It, it, it just seems you also have the time factor i mean the time it would take to get here like by the okay, so by the time ET sent us a signal and said hello, by the time we got that, that civilization could be dead and gone, right? Uh, because it takes so many years for that to get here, and then by the time we respond back, we'd be dead and gone. So, the, the it's not just space, but space and time are intricately linked. So you have the time factor too. It's possible that it's you know ET's out there, but I it. You know, would we even would we even know? You know, uh, David. I think David Wilkinson wrote a book on this topic. He's a scholar, and he's you know he's very skeptical about us being ever being able to know about ET being out there. At least he's not convinced. But the, but here's the other problem. Like the, the the view I said that was pretty attractive is the third the third rational species view, the fourth option you mentioned. And well, here's the problem with that view, though. If, if that's the truth, how did we miss it for so long? That's right? How, I, did, yeah. how have we yeah. Yeah. And, and in fact, I talked to a physicist um, last week, uh, respected physicist um, who uh, works at CERN occasionally. In fact, he was at at the the, the you know, the, the large Hadron Collider thing that they have. It's a big lab in Switzerland. And he he was there when we were talking and he I asked him that question. I was like, OK, does the would the physics support this idea that there's a third rational species living under our nose that we've never detected ever before? And I told him about the C.S. Lewis stuff, you know. And he, his, his response, as I recall, initially it was, let me think about it, you know? And, and then he said, actually, you know, it's, it's super low in probability. It's like, it's possible, but probability wise, it's just, I don't see how it, how it would be actual. And then he stopped and he said, but you know, there is that thing about the garden of Eden, right? Like, you know, if you take that, the garden as a literal location, you know, where did it go? you know, and how, you know, is it somehow invisible under our nose or, you know, you know, when you, when you think about evangelical views about the garden of Eden, the idea is that it's, it's hidden from us, you know, and, and we can't go there to partake of the tree of life, but it was a physical place. It was, had physicality, you know, it was a real place. And so he, his thought was, well, he, he kind of backtracked a little bit, uh, sort of, and, and like, well, you know, as a Christian, 
you know, he, mm. he, he thought maybe it is possible, but he, he wasn't willing to say it's probable at all. So that's the problem with that third rational view. You know, how do we missed it? Mm. Here's the thing. Here's the thing on that. Perhaps we haven't missed it. Okay. Perhaps we haven't because maybe these are where the stories come from. Maybe that's why C.S. Lewis gave credence to it. That's why Jerome gave credence to it. Well, okay. Dell Allison in his Encountering Mystery book um, published last year, he, he makes this statement at some point in his book, something to the effect of, well, maybe we believe all these things because people have actually experienced these things. Right. So I don't know. I, I think the UFO mystery is a genuine mystery. You know, I, I don't know what to do with it I, I, in terms of a conclusion. I think anybody who says they know what it is probably doesn't know what it is, you know. And maybe but, uh, psychedelics is a pa- pathway forward to discover what the truth is. I, 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 <laughs> that's the thing that they're talking about. And I know next to I know nothing actually about psychedelics. I think I know more about like Barbie dolls and stuff psychedelics. But, <laughs> Me too. but nonetheless, Me too. Uh, but yeah. but yeah, I mean. Well, so that, that's, that's that, that is the argument. I, I, I hearing more and more people yeah. say, yeah, that, that it opens your mind up to an actual other worldly realm. That's not just you're, you know, on, on some kind of trip or whatever, but like you're actually entering into a different realm or something. You know? Again, I have no yeah, altered state. hundred percent not endorsing that hundred percent, not even saying that's true. I'm just yeah. saying what people are saying. And right. Anyway. I think the most interesting thing with respect to UFO and that comes from um, just an off-the-cuff comment made by former CIA director John Brennan, I think he was. I think he served under Obama, if I remember right. I can't remember. But uh, he was asked in an interview, he was like, hey, what do you think about UFOs? And he kind of chuckled. And, and he makes a statement. He said, you know, I think some of the UFOs that we'll be seeing you know, might constitute a different form of life. It's possibly that it constitutes a different form of life. And I found that really interesting. Um, and people like that talk about these things. I think they, they, they're trained to choose their words very carefully. And uh, I, I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into it. But I think, I think that Christians, at the very least, we need, to underst- we need to figure out what sort of categories that we can biblically operate in that would keep us biblically faithful. We can't, we can't entertain heresy, right? But our, what biblical categories can we operate in that should— something happened and there's an announcement made or whatever mm-hmm. that we can, our Christian faith can accommodate that. But more importantly, here's the thing. We need to be talking about this, whether or not an announcement's ever made, because there are people in, you know, the pastors who are listening to your podcast, there are people in that, in those churches who who've had experiences that they can't understand. And, and, you know, what do we have a theology to back it up? Um, or at least to account for some of that. So it's important that I think we educate ourselves on this topic for sure. Well, Matt, thank you so much. You've given us, I mean, more, I always say this to my guests, you've given us a lot to think about, but man, you've given us <laughs> whole new yeah. uh, universes universes to, to <laughs> contemplate, maybe. But thank you so much. I love your candidness, your honesty, and, and um, I mean, you're such a thoughtful guy. There's, there's, I'm sure there's other people, some YouTubers I could have had on that, that would, <laughs> would have been happy to explore this topic and it would have been maybe as careful or thoughtful so uh thank you so much matt it's great seeing your face again and uh yeah best of best of luck to you thanks man This show is part of the Converge Podcast Network.